Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so today we're going to go into Are You Covenanted? Part 13. Part 13. Okay, and remember what we're looking at now as we're going through the idea of covenant is I want you to focus on a couple of things. Today, of course, we've been continuing through this idea of looking at the role and the effect of leadership in covenant keeping. How people respond to the role of leadership and how important leadership is in covenant keeping. Because we're going to go through the book of Kings a little bit and Chronicles a little bit today and look at some of the things that have to do with how the kings were involved. And also, as we then go forward from that, I want you to see that we notice all the way through, I may not remember to mention this every week, but all the way through, we saw covenant come into play with Noah. Then we saw covenant come into play with Avram, Avraham, right? Then we saw covenant come into play as we moved further into Joshua and going forward. I want you to notice that covenant is always the key element of the relationship between the creator and his children. It's going to continue without fail all the way through to be the important factor of the definer of the relationship between us and our creator all the way through till today, all the way through to the end. Okay, so we're looking at how this is going on and dealing with the role and effect of leadership in covenant keeping. Go to 1 Kings, 1 Melachim, 1 Kings 11. And we don't tend to do a lot of readings out of the book of Kings or Chronicles, but we're going to do that today. 1 Kings 11, we're going to begin in verse 1. And the sovereign Shlomo, Solomon, loved many foreign women in addition to the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonians, and Hittite women. He certainly didn't seem to care which they were. <laughs> From the nations of whom Yahweh had said to the children of Israel, you do not go into them and they do not go into you, for they shall certainly turn away your hearts after their mighty ones. Shlomo clung to these in love. So not only did he just have a problem going after lots of women, but he went after even the ones that Yahweh said, you do not do this. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Okay, so look, this goes back to the same thing that happened with Balaam and Balak, and leading into the problem that ended up with Pinchas having to put the spear through the woman and the man. So even this is, this is something that had already happened and Shlomo would have understood. But see, but even the wisest man that ever lived wasn't so smart. <laughs> because he was turned away by his heart. Which is why we need to keep remembering that on maybe a yearly basis you want to go back through the heart of the matter teachings. I know there's 64 of them, so what? It's the most important thing there is to deal with is your heart. Go back and listen to it. So there was a heart issue here. And it came to be, verse 4, when Shlomo was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other mighty ones. And his heart was not perfect with Yahweh, his Elohim. Perfect being his heart lacked integrity. You guys have been paying attention. Okay, so when I rewrite, well, I shouldn't say rewrite. It's a bad way to word this. When I make my translation, this verse might have the word integrity in there. Okay, that his heart lacked integrity with Yahweh, his Elohim, and it was 
as was the heart of his de- father David. His father David had integrity. He said, but his was not. His father, his, they did not have that integrity that David had. And Shlomo went after Ashtoreth and the mighty ones of the Sidonians and, the, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Thus Shlomo did evil in the eyes of Yahweh and did not follow Yahweh completely like his father David. So remember, that what's the definition of evil? Doing anything that goes against what Yahweh said. Then Shlomo built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for the Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And so he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and slaughtered to their mighty ones. And therefore Yahweh was enraged with Shlomo because his heart had turned away from Yahweh Elohim of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And he commanded him concerning this word not to go after other mighty ones, but he did not guard what Yahweh had commanded. And Yahweh said to Shlomo, Because you have done this and have not guarded my covenant and my laws, which I have commanded you, I shall certainly tear the rain away from you and give it to your servant. There are big ramifications to breaking covenant. Especially when you are the leader. Because leadership always is necessary and important. And therefore, there's an increased burden of responsibility and ramifications for you messing up as leadership. Don't ever take leadership lightly if you are in it. And understand, before you decide you want to be in it, how much more responsibility and how much more of the ramifications you are going to be facing potentially. Now, I want us to understand something for you men. Not for the ladies, this is going to be a different sort of thing. But for the men, this comes up a lot. And so I, I'm going to say something and it may stir up all kinds of problems in your house. And I'm sorry if it does. But it seems to me after reading this, that the men were responsible, like Slomo, not to allow the desires of the women to lead them into paganism. Or into idolatry. So if you're a man and married to a woman who is not covenanted, you as the man, ladies, this is different. I'll talk to you. I'll address you in a minute. But to the men, you cannot allow the Christmas tree in your house. You cannot allow the Easter celebration in your house. Oh, but you don't understand. My wife will divorce me. Sorry about that. It'll be what it'll be. You're covenanted. Try to dwell with understanding. Try to allow her. To, look, if she wants to go to Sunday church, you let her go to Sunday church. You don't go. But she doesn't bring this stuff into your house. She wants to eat bacon, let her go outside and eat bacon. She doesn't bring it into your house. Do you understand that, men? Okay, I know we don't have that problem necessarily in this building as much as probably in the live stream because we, I, I get contacted by a lot of people where the wives or the husbands are not on the same page. Ladies, this is not the same that goes for you. It's his house. It's his authority. He brings it in. Now you get the choice of drawing the line. It's not mandated how you draw that line, but if you want to draw the line and say, if you bring that in the house, I'm done, that's up to you. That's your relationship with your husband. The men, you must draw this line. 
Ladies, you don't have to draw this line. It's his house. But you may not want to continue to stay in a house that's like that all the time. I'm not encouraging issues in the husband-wife situation. I'm not encouraging divorce. I'm just trying to tell you that here it shows Shalomo brought in the women. And that wasn't just the problem. He allowed them to turn his heart to want to please them. And so some of you men will tell me, but my wife will be all mad and angry and this and that, and I want to please my wife. But see, that's a problem right here. That's a problem right here. Now, I know it's a different situation in some ways because it's much more awful when you didn't pick that wife. See, Solomon picked his wives after he was covenanted and he knew they weren't. So he made that dumb choice. But some of you got married where you were both where you both were, and then one of you came out. And so that's not really the other one's fault that Yahweh only opened one of your eyes. But it's still, I'm just seeing for myself, I'm seeing, when I counsel, I say the same thing. I say, men, it's your house. You have to protect your house. That may cost you, it says that in the New Testament, you may lose sisters, brothers, husbands, wives, parents over this decision to be covenanted. And so that's the key that we want to make sure we have here. But ladies, if he wants to bring this stuff in the house, you can choose or not choose to tolerate it, but you don't participate. If he brings in the Christmas tree, you don't put anything on it, you don't decorate it, you don't put presents under it, you don't deal with it. If he wants pork in the house, he brings it in, let him do it. You don't participate with that. That's his thing. It's his house. If that becomes intolerable, that's lots of things can become intolerable, not just covenant issues. Husbands and wives have all kinds of issues that sometimes lead to separation. We want to, if possible, maintain shalom in the home. We want you to stay together. I'm not trying to encourage or advocate breaking apart. But understand, you see what happened to Shlomo. Men, if you don't put your foot down, the house is going into the Disaster heap, so to speak. You have to put your foot down. That doesn't mean that you tell her she has to keep Torah. That doesn't mean you have to tell her she has to do all these different things. No, she just can't do certain things in your house. Okay? She wants to go do them, she can do them someplace else. Just like if your parents or family members invite you over for Christmas, you get to say, I'm sorry, but I can't come. Because that's not your house. You can't make them not do it. But you can choose not to participate. But if they come over to your house during that time of year, you make it clear you're not bringing this stuff over. I've had to counsel some people whose parents want to come over and bring the tree and bring the this and bring the that. And the men have to step up. See, it's hard because some of these guys are tied to mom's apron strings. And they're totally mama's boys. Whatever you think that means. And so mama still rules. And you have to be able to say, Mom, it's my house. You're not bringing that stuff in my house. Some of you may not be able to bring those people over your house until a week or two after Christmas just so that you know, because you know they're not trustworthy. They're going to try to do it anyway. You're going to have to step up, stand up, and put that foot down, but do it respectfully. Do not dishonor or shame anybody. Husbands with your wives, do it gently and respectfully, but draw the firm line. Honey, I love you. I understand. 
But I believe this is important for me and for our, for our family. This isn't happening here. I don't want a divorce. I don't want a problem. I don't want to fight. I don't want to yell and scream. But you married me, hopefully to trust me in leadership, and this is where I am. This is where I'm trying to please my creator, trying to be submitted under that highest authority. Try to get counsel if you need to. But understand, you see what happened to to Shlomo. And we're going to see this in other places. You break covenant, you get all kinds of stuff taken away from you. And you start getting curses again and all those other things that he said you would be protected from when you were in covenant. So Shlomo says, I mean, Shlomo is told, I'm taking what you have away from you. Husbands, guess what? Yahweh may choose to take what he's given you away from you if you don't make the stand. Do you want to risk that? Is that what you want to do? Because some of you may wonder, all of a sudden, I don't understand why I just lost my job and my car keeps breaking and all these other things just keep happening. Well, could it be because you've compromised somewhere and you've not made your stand because some of you like to say things like, well, you know, when Joshua said, as for me and my house, guys, that's got to be your position. As for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. That doesn't mean you can make your wife do. But you can choose to decide if that's going to be so problematic where that goes. Same thing for the wife. If your husband's not going to all the respect and, and, you know, where you need to be. Now, thankfully, a lot of the counseling I do, there has been wives who've gotten their husbands to allow them to not put the Christmas stuff out. And it's worked fairly well. And the husbands have respected their wives' journeys. I'm just encouraging you that to be covenanted is going to require an incredible amount of internal strength and fortitude. To walk in covenant, to maintain covenant, you're going to have to dig deep For that strength, it could be a quiet strength, a gentle strength. That's what we call meekness. Meekness is not a doormat or some sort of just, you know, weak person. It's quiet, gentle strength. But it's strength. And so you need to be meek with that quiet strength. Shlomo messed this up. Let's learn the lesson from Shlomo, amen? Okay, go to Second Kings, Second Melakim, chapter seventeen. Second Melakim, chapter seventeen. We'll begin in verse six. In the ninth year of Hosea, the, sir, the sovereign of Asher captured Shomron and exiled Israel to Asher and settled them in Chalach and Chavor and the river of Gazan and the cities of the Medes. Now this came to be, listen, because the children of Israel had sinned against Yahweh their Elohim. What does that mean? They broke covenant. Who had brought them up out of the land of Mitzrayim from under the hand of the Pharaoh, sovereign of Mitzrayim, and feared other mighty ones. He's saying, he's reminding them, I brought you out of that mess. Why would you continue to want to go back to it? And they walked in the laws of the Gentiles whom Yahweh had dispossessed him from before the children of Israel and the sovereigns of Israel that they had made. So what did they do? They imitated those people around them. 
They sought after and said, well, what do you guys do? Oh, that looks pretty good. You getting any good results with that? I mean, they inquired, they sought after. A lot of it had to do with wanting to fit in, wanting to belong, wanting to be a part of. And this causes disaster. You know, many years ago, there was a group called the Worldwide Church of God, and they were Sabbath-keeping, Torah-keeping. And one day, a new sovereign came over that group, and he wanted to sit at the table with the big boys, the Baptists and the Methodists and the Pentecostals, and he moved the whole thing over to Sunday. Now, of course, the majority of the group had not wanted to be on Sunday, so he got to move over to the big boys, but he lost his whole group, pretty much. But he wanted to be a part of that to fit in with the bigger body. Because they picture, here's a problem for everyone, do you picture Christians as part of the body the same way you're part of the body? Do you picture Methodists, Lutherans, Catholics, Baptists, keep filling it in, Pentecost, name them all. Okay? What is the covenant? Exodus 19. If you obey my voice, I accept you as my people. Are Christians covenanted? No. Oh, this is going to get me in trouble. They're going to be starting burning crosses at my house. Look, they're not covenanted. They're confused because they've been lied to. And they've got churches called such and such covenant Baptist church, such as covenant Lutheran church. Such what covenant are they in? Oh, we're in the new covenant. All that stuff's been done away with. They're confused. They are in a new covenant. It's not a covenant of Torah keeping. It's not a covenant with Yahweh. They have covenanted with a false representation of Messiah. Go listen to beware false prophets. So they are covenanted, but not in the covenant you are. And see, that's the problem that can happen is that people say, oh, look at what they're doing. They seem to be doing great. Let's, let, let's just go do what they're doing, but attribute it to our Elohim and he'll accept it and all that stuff. That's like Israel when they made the calf and they didn't just call it, you know, one of, other, one of the other gods. They said it was Yahweh. They said, this calf, this is Yahweh that brought you out of Egypt. They did to Yahweh what the other peoples had been doing to their Elohim. And we are not to do that. We are not to do that. So you see that happening here. They sinned against Yahweh. They started doing what the dispossessed nations, the Gentiles, had been doing. Now remember, we have verses in the New Testament that talk about how they're walking in the delusion of their minds, thinking that they're right when they're wrong. We were once Gentiles. It says apart from the covenant. Do I need to read that to you? Okay. Okay, good. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead. By the way, you see, this is why you need to study. Because you need to be able to find these things. When something pops into your head, ah, you didn't know where I was going, I did. But you knew the verse I quoted about we were once Gentiles. Okay, we see that in verse 11. Therefore remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. But I want to start in verse 1. But understand, when that thought comes to you, the rock brings it to your remembrance. If you study, you'll know where these things are. 
You got to know where these important sections are. You don't have to memorize the whole book, but these are really critical points to remind yourself of. Verse 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the way the world walks. According to the ruler of the authority of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Those are people that are doing what they shouldn't be doing. Among whom also we once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath and all the rest. Uh, Elohim, who was rich in compassion because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead. So what is he telling you? You weren't physically dead, but you had no future, no life in front of you because you were not walking in what brings life. Torah is life. Yeshua is life. The word is life. And so when we didn't have it, we were just walking dead, really. We were just living this fleshly life, knowing that we were going to die someday, and that was it. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. So we were without futures, what he's saying. He says, we're actually dead. There's a lot of people we watch living very active and very uh, abundant lives who are actually dead. In other words, they have no future. But they're living this life to the fullest that they can. They're enjoying every moment of it. They're getting all of the possible joys out of it. That they, at least the way they understand things, but they're dead. Their future is dead, is what he's talking about. There's no future. There's no real life coming in the future. He says, but Elohim, who was rich in compassion, because his great love with which he loved us, even when we were without a future, dead in our trespasses, he gave us a future. He made us alive together with Messiah. Because he gave us a way to earn the merit, to be favored and be saved. That's really what Paul is trying to say here. He gave us a way to merit favor and be saved. He showed us the Torah. He showed us what it could look like to walk it out, to live it. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies of Messiah Yeshua in order to show in the coming ages the exceeding riches of his favor and kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. For by this merited favor, you have been saved. If you don't know what I'm talking about with merited favor, go listen to the search for the doctrine of grace. Okay? In that teaching, we cover every verse where grace is mentioned. He says, for by favor, you've been saved through belief, and that not of yourselves is the gift of Elohim. What's the gift of Elohim? That he made a path through merited favor to be saved. That's the gift. I don't think I've ever said that before. I like it. Could that be what he's saying? He says, look, we were dead. He provided us with a path, a process, a protocol, a way to get to life. And that was a gift. Oh, that changes everything in Ephesians chapter 2, doesn't it? That the gift was him providing us a way to be saved while we were already dead. We were dead. That was it. We had no future. He provided us with a way to have a future. That was the gift. Not that, well, you just, I just decided I want to give you eternal life because I like you and here's your gift. No. Providing you the way to get there, that's the gift. Amen? I like that. We're going to use that from now on. All right. It is not by works so that no one should boast. In other words, we didn't earn his deciding to give us this gift because everything we did by works was earning us death. Now, do you see how that verse makes more sense? 
He said, when he says it's not by works, well, the works we were doing was dead in trespasses and sin and walking according to the way the world did, etc., etc. So it wasn't by works. He gave us a gift because our works had already been wrong. But by a gift, a free gift, he said, I'm going to show you the right path. Isn't that what he did for Israel in Egypt? They were not doing anything to earn anything. But it was a gift when he sent Moses to bring them out and give them the Torah. That's the same thing for all of us. We all have the same journey. We're in the wilderness. We're trespassing. He opens up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and offers us Yeshua and the Torah as a gift. Did anything you do earn you when he opened your eyes and your ears and your hearts? Could any effort you made have brought that about? No. I'm glad we went to Ephesians 2, because now this makes even more sense in Ephesians 2 than I've ever heard and understood it before, as we're working through it. That's the gift. It's not by the works, the works he mentions earlier in the chapter, so that no one should boast and say, I put in this effort and that's why he delivered me. No. He showed you the path and that's how you got delivered. He delivered you out of your delusional mind. When we were delusional in our mind, listen, continuing, watch. For we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Messiah Yeshua onto good works which Elohim prepared before him that we should walk in them. He started with this before he even made the earth. He said, I've got these laws. I'm going to create a place for them to function. And then I'm going to create human beings to live by them and have it keep them safe and change them and bless them and all this good stuff. It was all created beforehand. Therefore... So because of all this, that's what therefore means. All this thing we just said is so that we get to this point. He says, therefore remember... That you, once Gentiles of the world in the flesh, who were, are called the circumcision by what is called, the, uh, were called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, those of you that the Jews call Gentiles. Let's just change the words to what they're really saying. He's using his own idioms. Paul likes to refer to the Jews as the circumcised and everybody else as the uncircumcised. So let's just switch the words to make it more clear. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called Gentiles by that which is called the Jews, made by flesh, because just because they were born that way doesn't mean that they're doing anything. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Still today, the same thing. That at that time, listen now, you were, without Messiah, excluded from citizenship of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no expectation without Elohim in the world. You were without covenant. So, when Christians walk in eating pork, Christmas and Easter, Sunday worship, Easter, all the things that they're doing, are they doing chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3? Or are they doing verses following in from verse 5 forward where they're offered a path to deliverance? They're still in one, two, and three, aren't they? The hideousness is not, I'm not picking on the Christians. The system has lied to them and told them they were in the right place when they're not. Told them they were covenanted when they're not. Those who say they know him, First John, and do not keep his commandments are lying. But see, the word covenant comes into this right here in chapter 2 of Ephesians. 
When you were doing the fleshly things, when you were sinning, when you were walking according to the way the world walks, which is mainstream Christianity and all those other stuff, it's also all the other isms, Buddhism, Hinduism, all that stuff. Okay? Which is a lot of it's been incorporated into Christianity. When you when you were doing that stuff, or if you're still doing that stuff, you are... Here it says, excluded from citizenship and strangers of, from the covenants and have no expectation and you're without Elohim in the world. Because remember what Yahweh said, what nation is there that has Elohim, this one great and only Elohim, right there with them? Well, only when you're in covenant. When you're not in covenant, you've moved from out from under the covering. Remember the picture I've given you in the past, being on that path from here to the kingdom, covered by the, the blood of Yeshua, like a blood canopy. But also think of it as Elohim above you and with you. You step off the path, you are stepping away, and you are now without Elohim. Now you may be with some other mighty one, but you're not with Yahweh at that point. He doesn't move, but you can so when you don't feel him around, you may ask the question, what did I do? Because he didn't move. You moved. And we got to be careful with that. And so hopefully that, that part of Ephesians chapter 2 is making more sense to everyone. You can see how it ties into what's going on here in Second in Kings. Okay, and then verse 13, he says, But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood. The blood allows for the reconciliation so that you can come back and reapproach the Father. Unbelievable stuff. Just, I mean, I say unbelievable, I mean incredible, amazing, praise Yah, praise Yah, praise Yah stuff. Because you could have stayed dead in your trespasses with no hope, no future, nothing. He says you were without promises of the covenants, no expectation, and without Elohim. That's where you could have been. Matter of fact, that's where you were. Praise Yah. He opened your eyes and opened your ears. You know, you should be thanking him and getting on your face every day. Father, thank you. I'm not where I used to be. Instead of being all the focus you're always on and not having all the stuff you still want. Well, you still could have wanted the same things and still been wanting, 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 but been back over there. At least now you're wanting, but you're over here. You're under covenant. You have the covering. You're with Elohim. You've been brought near from being brought from being out of far off. You've now been brought near. All right, back in Second Kings seventeen. Let's go back and remind ourselves how that plays out. Verse seven. Now this came to be because the children of Israel had sinned. Remember, they were they were taken captivity here a little bit um, because they had sinned against Yahweh their Elohim, who had brought them out of the land of Mitzrayim from under the hand of Pharaoh. And feared other mighty ones and walked in the laws of the Gentiles whom Yahweh had dispossessed from before the children of Israel and the sovereigns of Israel that they had made. Okay, so listen, they had walked in the laws of the Gentiles and of the sovereigns of Israel. The kings are responsible for a lot of this mess. And the children of Israel secretly did against Yahweh their only matters that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities from watchtower onto the walled city. So when I say secretly, they thought they were sneaking around. Yahweh saw everything. And set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. 
And they burned incense there on all high places like the Gentiles, whom Yahweh have removed from their presence, and they did evil matters to provoke Yahweh. You know, there aren't a whole lot of things in this world that you should be more not wanting to do than provoking Yahweh. Okay, that's just not, you know, people joke about, you know, a big organization or the police or the government or whatever it is saying these things like, well, you don't want to poke the bear. You know that idiomatic phrase? Hey, listen, I just do this because, you know what, I know I could argue with the government or argue with this entity to do this, but you know what, I don't want to poke the bear. The biggest bear there is is our creator. Don't provoke that bear. Let's be smart. They did evil matters to provoke Yahweh and serve the idols of which Yahweh had said to them, don't do this. Wow. And Yahweh warned Israel and Yehuda through all his prophets and, and every seer saying, turn back from your evil ways and guard my commands and my laws according to all the Torah which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So he, he loved them enough to say, well, he could have said, oh, All right, I'll go start with somebody else. They just went off that way. No, he sent prophets saying, please stop this. Turn around. Teshuvah, return. He says, but they did not listen and hardened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not put their trust in Yahweh, their Elohim. Okay, we talked about this a little bit on Thursday night for Rosh Kodesh. We can talk about it again for a minute. He just told you the reason for all this mess in the previous verses. Why did they go after the other Gentile stuff? Why did they do the other paganisms? Why did they? Because they were not trusting Yahweh. You've got to dig deep to see if you've got a Yahweh trust issue. Because that's why they're doing it. They did not put their trust in Yahweh their Elohim. Now, the next thing was, it says, and they rejected his laws and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his witnesses which they had witnessed against them and went after worthlessness and became worthless after the Gentiles who were all around them of whom Yahweh had commanded them not to do like them. Now, listen very carefully. The trust issue had to do with observance of Torah. They weren't trusting, see the connection right away? Was they didn't trust Yahweh and rejected his laws. They didn't trust Yahweh and they didn't trust the covenant. They didn't trust Yahweh, they didn't trust the witnesses. They didn't trust that walking out the covenant, obeying his voice would bring the blessings he said. They didn't trust it. Because you know what? Sometimes Yahweh doesn't move as fast as you want. And so what does that do? It causes a trust issue or moment. Because then you start to think, well, maybe he's not going to react at all. Maybe he's not going to respond. Maybe he's not going to deliver. Maybe he's not going to save me. I got to look for, I got to do this on my own. I got to go find another way. Because you don't have the patience. And if he knows you have that problem, guess what he's going to do? He's going to delay to see how, how you handle it. You got to set your face like Flint to say, nope. I'm going to stand and wait, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and I still am going to trust Yahweh, because if it didn't happen, that's the way Yahweh wanted it to be. But we're too impatient. And I think generationally, that's only gotten worse. With our modern conveniences and technologies and all of that stuff, we may be the most impatient generation of all time. 
That doesn't mean if there's another one, they may not be worse than us. But I think up to this point, we may be the least patient group we've ever lived. Why else would we be able to carry around in our pockets? Credit cards. I mean, it used to be to borrow money, you had to go to a bank or someone who lent money and fill out papers and make application and prove your creditworthiness. But we're so impatient, we want to be able to write the loan while we're standing at the store wanting to buy the thing. And we don't want to fill out anything, we just want to sign for it. So we got a pre-approved loan card. Let's call it what it is. And go write yourself an instant loan every time you use it. Some of you are going to think... I'm writing a loan to get Starbucks? Yes, you are, if you're using a credit card. You are writing a $5 loan. But see, we're so impatient. We want everything now, 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 instantly. We can't wait. These people did not put their trust in Yahweh. What should that tell us? We better be putting our trust in Yahweh. We better not be rejecting his laws and rejecting his covenant. Otherwise, he may look at us as those who do not listen and have hardened necks and hardened hearts and etc. He says, when you do this, listen now, you're going after worthlessness. And then you become worthless. And after the Gentiles who were all around them. So, again, I'm not picking on the Christians or the other people out there doing whatever system they're doing. But he just said, if it's not Torah and it's not part of the covenant, it is Worthless. What does worthless mean? Of no value. Of no benefit. It is worthless. It is futile. It's not going to get you there. To the there that you want to get to. It's not going to bring life. It is worthless. And so when people say... Well, you know, but all this benefit I had when I was in Christianity and all my friends, I'm sure they're okay because after all, you know, they, they, they still believe in the Creator and, their, and the Son, and, but they're doing Sunday and they're doing Christmas and they're not eating right. And they're, you understand what I'm saying? Where does it say in, anywhere in Scripture that there's like a grade, passing grade thing? Well, as long as you get a C, you're in. As long as you're doing, Christians are doing 70%, or whatever the number is. I just made that up. They're doing a lot. They're, they're still teaching people not to do adultery and not to murder, not to steal, not to bear false witness, you know, not to do idolatry as best they understand as they all walk around with crosses on their necks and they bow down to things all over their churches. But they're, they're doing some of it. They're loving their neighbor as themselves to some degree, whatever, right? But this is not a good enough passing grade thing. He wants you to do this with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all. And to run the race to, to receive the crown. The person who did about 70, 80% in the race, did he win? No. The person who gave 100% still might not have won. Because somebody else's 100% may have just been a little bit more because of the gifts and talents. But the person who won gave 100%. Put it all out there. you got to put it all out there. And you got to trust him that that's enough. You trust him that it's going to work. You trust him that what he said is going to happen. They had trust issues, serious trust issues. And because of that, they rejected his laws and his covenant. Now bear in mind... 
They never, in my opinion, just outright rejected everything in any one place necessarily. They were mixing stuff mostly. I don't see any recorded spot where they just said, we reject everything. Now, maybe they did at some point, and someone's going to have to email me and tell me how wrong I am. But 90% of the time, what you see at least is them mixing stuff, picking and choosing. As a matter of fact, they'll be doing Torah, but they'll also have the paganism. They'll be doing Torah, you know, going to the temple, but they're also going to a pagan temple. They're also doing this. They're also doing that. Isn't that what Christianity ultimately is? A conglomeration, a syncretized mix of paganism with truth? So you can't mix because even a slightest drop of poison will kill you if you drink it in the big glass of clean water. The deadly poison still will kill you if it's, if it's, a, if it's that kind of a deadly poison. doesn't need a lot. What does Paul say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. All right? Verse 16. And they left all the commands of Yahweh their Elohim and made themselves a molded image, two calves, and made an Asherah, and bowed themselves to all the hosts of the heavens and served Baal, and caused his sons and daughters to pass through the fire and practice divination and sorcery and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of Yahweh to provoke him. So Yahweh was very enraged with Israel and removed them from his presence. None was left but the tribe of Yehuda alone. Okay. What is the punishment for doing evil and for trespassing covenant and for rejecting his laws? What's the punishment? Being removed from his presence. Ouch. Do you want that? I mean, some of you are thinking, well, you know, I did this and it's not so bad. Or I did this other thing and that wasn't so bad. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, it could be that you're going to end up being removed from his presence. Seems to me there was a situation in Matthew where Yeshua said, get away from me, be removed from my presence, you workers of Torahlessness. But, 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 no but, but, but. We did all this stuff in your name. Well, yeah, you invoked my name, but you still weren't doing what I said because you were doing Torahlessness. And so what he said, he said, be removed, get away from my presence. Depart, you who are workers of iniquity, of lawlessness, of Torahlessness. The word is anomia. So it would be a good place to put Torahlessness for the translation. But none was left but the tribe of Yehuda. Now listen. Before you think that Yehuda was so righteous, it said, Yehuda also did not guard the commands of Yahweh their Elohim, but walked in the laws of Israel which they made. Now bear in mind, the leadership was making laws, and the people were following those laws, even when those laws were against Torah. I'm going to tell you all right now, you need to keep Torah no matter what your government tells you. We have people we know that were arrested in Romania because they were trying to keep the Sabbath and it was against the law. And they went to jail. Right now, this government does not require you to break Torah. So you don't have a problem with that. What if it happens someday? You need to go to jail if that's what happens. You need to say, no, I'm keeping the commands. You need to stand... And not do the laws of Israel, so to speak, the laws of the nation. He said Judah was doing what the, what the laws of the nation said. They didn't guard it. 
They rejected. So Yahweh, it says, and Yahweh rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he had cast them out from his presence. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Yeravom, son of Nevat, sovereign. And Yeravom drove Israel from following Yahweh and made them commit a great sin. And the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Yeravom, which he did. That's Jeroboam, for those of you that know from the English. They did not turn away from them. But remember, he kept Judah separate. Why? If you remember when it came up in the, in the uh, discussion, it came up as for David's sake. For the promise, to, and also for the promise that a light or a lamp or a scepter would not depart from the feet of Judah. So Judah was preserved not because they earned it, but because Yahweh promised it. Are we clear? That doesn't mean they didn't suffer you know, the, the curses and the punishments and everything else, but they were not kicked out of the present because of a promise that they would have to hold the torch. They would have to hold the torch. But it even came to eventually with Jeremiah, where Judah was just beyond, and Yahweh said, forget it, you guys are going into Babylon. I'll bring you back out, but you're going to go for a time out for 70 years. Because you need to learn a lesson here. The northern kingdom, what happened when they got taken away with? Did they come back? Nope. They went bye-bye. The only reason Judah got preserved is nothing special about Judah. They were chosen and promised to be that. But they also then got to be the target for the next several thousand years. They paid a high price for being preserved, so to speak. Because they were the visible children of Yah. And the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not turn away from them. Until Yahweh removed Israel from all his presence. And he spoke by all his servants, the prophets, as he spoke by his prophets. So Israel was exiled from the land, uh, their land to Asher, as it is to this day. So when Assyria came and took them, they're gone. They're gone. So what caused them to go into captivity? A trust issue. And because of the trust issue, they had an obedience and covenant-breaking issue. How serious is this covenant? Yahweh took an entire people. How many millions were they at this point? And removed them and scattered them because they broke covenant. And he hasn't brought them back. It's been a long time. Now, he does promise at some point to bring them back. That's quite a punishment. But they were given chance after chance after chance. And they would not heed the warnings he said, I'll punish you seven times more and seven times more and seven times more. And he said, if you're not instructed by these punishments, instructed, he actually says, if you haven't learned your lesson, his ways, that's really a better modern day idiom. And if you didn't learn your lesson, I'll have to punish you seven times more. So that's probably the good idiom for where it says, if you're not instructed by these, well, if you didn't learn your lesson, that's the idea of being instructed. Where are we? All right, verse 24. And the sovereign of Asher brought people from Babylon, from Babel, and from Kutha, and from uh, Ava, and from Hamath, 
and from Sepharwaim and placed them in the cities of Shomron instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Shomron and dwelt in the cities. This is why the Samaritans have such a big issue with the Israelites going down the road is because some of them were those that were brought in that were not Israel. And some of them were those Israelites that then were left to stay. Because the Syrian, when they took them, they would leave the productive people there. The farmers and everything to keep bringing production. And then they assimilated. And so they were looked down on as the dogs because they assimilated. Even though they were still Israel. That's why you could have Yeshua talking to a Samaritan and say, this is our father Jacob's well. What do you mean your father Jacob? That makes you Israel. Ah, but you assimilated. Ah, but you decided to, rather than fight and rather than go away, to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, and do whatever they told you. And that's why they were looked down upon. And it came to be, verse 25, at the beginning of their dwelling there, that they did not fear Yahweh. And Yahweh sent lions among them, which kept on slaying among them. And they spoke to the sovereign of Assyria, of Asher, saying, The nations whom you had removed and placed in the cities of Shomron do not know the right ruling of the Elohim of the land. And he had, and he has sent lions among them, and see, they are slaying among them, because they do not know the right ruling of the Elohim of the land. And the sovereign of Asher, of Asher commanded, saying, Send one of the priests whom you exiled from there to go there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the right ruling of the Elohim of the land. And one of the priests whom they had exiled from Shomron came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how to fear Yahweh. So there was a lot of fighting and destruction going on that even the king of Assyria said, let me send a priest to go straighten this out. Verse 29, But every nation was making mighty ones of its own and put them in the houses of their high places which the Shomronites had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made Sukkot, Benoth, and the men of Kuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath uh, made Hashima, and the Avites made uh, Nivchaz and Tartak, and the Sephirites burned their children in the fire to Adremelech and Anemelech, and the mighty ones of the Sepharim. They also feared Yahweh, and from every class they made for themselves priests of the high places who offered for them in the high... And the house of high places. Okay, now notice this. They're doing all this paganism, but they're also fearing Yahweh. Somehow they say, think that this mixture is okay. Okay, we're fearing Yahweh now that the priest came and told us about that, but we're not stopping this pagan stupidity that we're doing also. They were fearing Yahweh and they were serving their own mighty ones according to the ruling of the nations from among whom they had been exiled. All right, so we're serving Yahweh, and we're serving Molech, and we're serving Yahweh, and we're serving Chemosh, and we're serving Yahweh. And we're... You can't mix this stuff. Well, you can, but you won't be covenanted. You can, but you'll be cast out of his presence. You can, not a good plan. There's nothing to stop you. Yeah, you can, and it would be worthless. Thanks for mentioning that, right? It would be worthless. It wouldn't get you anywhere. To this day, they are doing according to the former rulings. They are not fearing Yahweh, nor do they follow their laws of their right rulings or the Torah and the command of Yahweh. Excuse me, command which Yahweh had commanded the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, whose name he made Israel, with whom Yahweh had made a covenant 
and command to them, saying, Do not fear other mighty ones, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor slaughter to them. It's part of your covenant. Because remember, Yahweh said, You'll do everything I say. And guess what? Later on, that's what he said. And so once he said it, it became part of the covenant. He said it, it became part of the covenant. So people so they say, well, what's part of the covenant? Well, everything he said. So up to a certain point, he only said this much. Later on, he said more. And later on, he said more. That's all part of the covenant. He didn't say, I'm going to give you my covenant, and you're just going to do everything I say tomorrow. You're agreeing to do everything I say ever. That's what he said here. So, but Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Mitzrayim with great power, without just arm, him you shall fear, and to him you shall bow yourselves, and to him you shall slaughter, and guard to do forever the laws and the right rulings in the Torah, and the command which he wrote for you, and do not fear other mighty ones, and do not forget the covenant that I have made with you, and do not fear other mighty ones. But fear Yahweh your Elohim, so that he delivers you from the hand of all your enemies. And they did not obey, but did according to their former ruling. Oh, my goodness. So these nations were fearing Yahweh and serving their carved images, both their children and their children's children, as their fathers did, they are doing to this day. And I would have to say they're still doing it to this day. See, covenant is still the issue. In the covenant... We're, and by the way, part of the covenant, would we agree in Deuteronomy when it says, and you shall love Yahweh with all your heart and mind and being in the, the Vahafta. Is that part of the covenant? What about when it says in Deuteronomy 10, 12, and you are to fear Yahweh and walk in all his ways? That's part of the covenant. But here they're fearing other mighty ones and walking in their ways and fearing Yahweh and walking in some of his ways. But they're not really fearing Yahweh. The word fear here is being more to the point of they obeyed. So they're obeying some of what Yahweh said. They're obeying some of what the other guy said. Because if they really feared Yahweh, they wouldn't be doing the other stuff. So let's add another teaching to today's teaching. You need to go back and listen to it. We already talked about beware false prophets, search for the doctrine of grace, heart of the matter. You also need to go listen to fear of Yahweh. If you don't have that fear right, if you're struggling with your obedience, you need to go back and listen to fear of Yahweh. Because that's the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. We're told this in Proverbs and other places. It's the beginning. But do we have this fear? Are we allowing the influence? Basically what's happening here is what? The influence of outside people. Why are you so influenced? I've got people that will come to me after watching some teaching they watched by someone who isn't covenanted. When I say that, I know that because it's someone who's not walking Torah, etc. And they want to have me explain to them, you know, something about what that guy or woman or whoever it was said, the man or woman said. And my thought always is, why are you listening to uncovenanted people? Why are they influencing you at all? Why do you give them authority? If they're not covenanted, why does their opinion matter when it comes to Torah observance? That doesn't mean their opinion doesn't matter generally. You may find a really good finance person, and their opinion may be very valuable for finances, because you don't have a lot of financial classes here in Torah. 
There are some basic things about, you know, being, uh, not being a borrower and how you handle your money. But generally, you may need advice about certain things in your life, life coaching. Fine, go find those people. But don't bring me these videos and these teachings you found about Torah-related issues that somebody not Torah-observant and not covenanted put out. Oh, but they're Sabbath keepers. Okay, so doing one piece of Torah doesn't make you covenanted. Because I could point to every single Gentile. Gentile! I know a lot of Gentiles who won't murder. Okay, so they're Torah observant. Or they won't steal. So they're Torah observant? Oh, but these people are Sabbath keepers. That's just one commandment. And by the way, nowhere in Scripture that says that one carries more weight than all the other ones. It's a serious one. It's brought up a lot. Because it's a, it's a what? A sign. It's a covenantal sign. That's why it becomes a big deal. But just because they're Sabbath observant, which is a covenantal sign, doesn't make them covenanted. They're not covenanted if they're doing all this other junk and also keeping Sabbath. I mean, you could keep Sabbath and then go home and make yourself a ham sandwich. You can keep Sabbath and go steal or murder or this or that or not give equal weights and equal money. You can do a million different things and still keep Sabbath. So that's not enough. But my point is to you, why are you being influenced by those that are not covenant? And by the way, that a lot of you, this is a mistake, and please don't be offended. Just because you're sitting in this room doesn't mean everybody in this room is covenanted. You don't know what they're doing. You only know some of what they're doing, what little bit you see about everyone in this room. You're not with them 24-7. All of you on live stream. I love the way the live streamers, this is great. Somebody will put in a question. It'll happen on our live stream. It'll happen on our Facebook page. And then all these geniuses want to jump in there with an answer, which is already wrong. And I'll explain why in a minute. But then worse than that, all you other geniuses are going to start being influenced by people you have no idea where they're at. You don't even know who they are. But they sound like they know what they're talking about. And then you'll call me all upset and disturbed by what one of those no-name face people, whoever it is that you saw online. Why would you be influenced by that? If someone out there is saying something different than what I'm saying, don't listen to a word they say unless they have a teaching that they want to put out and back it all up, and then you have to compare what I say to what they say. Don't just have them say, Rabbi's wrong, and give you like a bullet point why I'm wrong. You put together a teaching and show me verse by verse, line by line, why you think I'm wrong. Because I got people contacting me, well, you're wrong about this and that and the other thing, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine, where's your teaching? Tell me I'm wrong. Show me. I spent hours developing my position on everything, verse by verse, line by line, for years and years and years. I'm not a third grader or a fifth grader. I've been teaching this for like 18 years. Some people say, oh, well, but you had that seven years. Okay, so take those out. That's still 11 years. But I've been walking this for 30, 1980, no, let's see, 31. Okay? I was walking this out in the context, in the context of Yeshua for 31 years. By the way, that doesn't make me right because I have a lot of years. There's other people out there with more years than me that I think are a little off. 
but put your teaching together. Don't just tell me why you're wrong. And see, the problem is, why do you let those people influence you? Oh, I'm so upset. This person said this, and they disturbed my peace, because now I feel like I'm doing everything wrong. About... But what they said is in what I teach. Did they give you a teaching, or they just said like a three-sentence paragraph on Facebook and disturbed your whole peace? So the, let's get back to the first thing I said, which is why it's wrong for all of you out there in cyberspace to be typing in the answers to people. What qualifies you to do that? Why do you think that everybody should be listening to your point of view? Do you want the responsibility? Do you want the punishment if you're wrong? Do you want the burdens of that? Or are you just in your ego and your pride think you're so smart and you just feel like you got to set everybody straight? Because after all, I've had people literally tell me, Yahweh sent me to you to correct you. Really? Yahweh only does that with prophets. He sends those prophets to kings. I'm not a king. Sends them to the general populace. Well, you're coming to me. I'm not the general populace. Yahweh didn't send you to correct me. You want to correct me? Do a teaching. Let me hear it. I'm correctable. I've changed on some things over the years. But you got to put a teaching together. Don't tell me Yahweh sent me to just tell you you're wrong. I have never gone to anybody and told them Yahweh sent me to tell you you're wrong. All I did was make a teaching, and then you listen to it, and you decide if you're wrong. Let the rule help convict you if you're wrong. But don't be so quick. This happens on our live stream. Kurt's there. Robert's there from time, you know, depending on whoever's there. I'm here at the mic. Someone asks a question. Let the leadership answer the question. Well, you don't agree with the leadership. Well, then you have to just deal with the fact that you're in a leadership-run event. And it's not your place to start promoting your stuff. This is a congregational service. We happen to be recording it. Some people listen to this years from now. But it's being recorded at a congregational service. It's being recorded as an organizational thing for an extended body that a lot of the people on live stream are members of this congregation at large. Some of you are guests. That's fine. Be respectful of where you are. Some of you will come on our Facebook page and say, well, you guys just don't want anybody's opinion. You're right, we don't. Not in that forum. There's a right place for your opinion. When people ask a question in the MTOI Facebook group, they're asking not because they just want opinions. They want to know what this leadership believes about a particular thing. They may actually already have a position themselves, but they're curious to know where we stand on something, or they might really not know what to do, and they want, because they're members of this group, to know what this leadership that they're submitted to teaches on it. So therefore, you need to not get involved. Oh, you just try to control everything. No, there's five million groups you can go in and spew anything you want. Go do it. I have a burden of responsibility for those in this group. This group is welcome on its own to go anywhere they want, study anything they want. But not everybody from where they are, everywhere they are, can put that stuff in the group. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? I would be wrong, like the sovereigns here, I have an authority over this group, as a head of the group, to protect it from bringing that nonsense in without approval. So it's not an open forum. But I'm not trying to control people's thoughts and behaviors. If you want to go to one of the other forums, go. I've never told you you can't listen to other teachers or do other things. You can't bring it into here. 
That's the difference. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what we're talking about here. Let's pray. Avinu Makenu, our Father, our King, Father, we come before you. And Father, we want to acknowledge your sovereignty, your awesomeness, your power, and most of all, your authority, that yours is the only authority, the true authority in all of our lives. And that with that authority, you've put people in positions. And those people over time have either done well or done very poorly in putting forth your authority, putting forth your agenda, your thoughts, your ways, your desires. And that's what we're reading about here in these teachings over the next couple of weeks and the last couple of weeks. To see how those in authority have been true to the position you put them in. But also, Father, we're seeing how serious it is to be in that position and to stand in that place and be expected to represent you correctly and bear the burden of responsibility if we fail and the, and the judgment that comes with that. But Father, let us fear you. Let us not bring from the outside in to the covenant. Let us not mix that which is from the outside in. Let us realize that we were dead in our trespasses and you provided a way to become covenanted and have life. Father, let us understand how serious this is so that we can truly covenant and say, truly, Abba, whatever you say, that we will do. Whatever you say is to stop, that we will stop. Father, we just want to do what's right and pleasing in your eyes. So, Father, we come before you now. We're weak. We're emotional. We're fleshly. Father, help us to overcome. Help us to conquer those things so that we can truly become filled with integrity and that we can be seen to be pleasing in your sight. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you an all glory and all honor. In the name of all names, Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.